What a beautiful time of worship. That, would, uh, that was a little taste of heaven, wasn't it? Can you imagine singing that with myriads and myriads of angels around the throne of Jesus Christ one day very soon? If you are saved in him, that is your reality coming up. That is awesome. Let's open up our Bibles to Psalm 78, verses 1 to 8. Psalm 78, 1 to 8. If you do not have a copy of God's Word, put your hand up nice and high. Our ushers are going to put a Bible in your lap. And if you don't have a Bible at home, that's, that's our free gift to you. So we want you to keep it so you can continue to study God's Word on your own. And it is in page, on page 280 in those Bibles being handed out. 280. Well, the title of this evening's message is just what the title of Psalm 78 itself is, Tell the Coming Generation. Tell the Coming Generation. Here's a question, actually more of a statement along with a question, and it is this. Truth we need to lock in. The next generation, the next generation will be discipled. It's going to happen. The next generation will be discipled, but here's the question facing us tonight, church, but will they be discipled by the church? The next generation will be discipled, but will, be, will they be discipled by the church? Will they be discipled by this church? Hope Bible Church, Ottawa. See, by God's grace, and you just saw a little, little snapshot of what God is doing in the next generation here at the church. By God's grace, the Lord has entrusted to us around 50 young people. Yeah, come on. Praise the Lord. But, but that means responsibility. 50 young people, those are just the ones that come regularly the ones that have hope as their home church. That's not including their friends at Hope Youth. That's not including families that are coming and bringing their... That's just the regular ones, praise the Lord. But that means we have a responsibility. And here it is. Jesus lays it out for us. You'll see it on the screen. Matthew 19, 14, he says, Let the children come to me and... Here's how we do that. This is the participle. The command is to let them come. How do we do that? We don't hinder them. Do not hinder them. The term hinder there in the original language means to prevent or forbid them from coming to know Jesus. Do not hinder them. Don't prevent them. Do not forbid them. And what we see right here from Jesus' command is the discipleship of the next generation is not optional for the church. You say, well, I'm not good with kids. It's not optional. If you're saved in Jesus Christ, Jesus was really good with kids. Can we understand that? Jesus was great with kids. He was discipling them. We see that in God's word. And he lives inside of you through the power of the Holy Spirit, so you're equipped to do that. There's no excuse. This is not optional. And do you notice the Great Commission? I hope you noticed it and are still looking at it in the banner when you walk in here. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. Every ministry in this church is devoted to that. That's our one mission. But you notice what's not in the Great Commission when Jesus says that in Matthew 28? Go therefore and make disciples uh, as long as they're over 20. He doesn't say that. 
Start making disciples when they're 10 and up. Nope. Everyone say no. He says, go and make disciples. It's not an option, but here's the problem, and I think you're already recognizing this. Often, either actively or passively or both, we hinder the next generation from coming to Jesus. Individually, as individuals, as families, and even as a church. How? Here it is. We're just apathetic about it. We're just apathetic about it. Or we make excuses as to why we can't. It's like, well, there's lots of time with the kids. We've got years. Hey, can I just give a little shout out? I mentioned earlier, we have our oldest two. We have four boys, if you don't know. And um, our oldest two are 14. And I still remember the day brought them out of the delivery room and I'm holding one in each arm like two little footballs. And I'm like, oh, this is going to be a long time. And here they are, 14 now. Like, it flies. But the apathy can set in because it's like, oh, we've got lots of time for that. Make excuses. Well, we don't have to do that today because we'll have tomorrow. Will you? Do you know that? You know for sure. Put your hand up if you know for sure you're going to get tomorrow. Didn't think so. Well, we've got practices to go to. We've got other fun stuff to do. We've got movies to watch. We've got homework to do. And plus, I I just don't want to turn them off Jesus. Somehow by osmosis, I'm hoping they'll just kind of pick it up. Loved ones, it's really hard to turn someone off Jesus when you're not turning them on. We prioritize other things, and we minimize the work of the Holy Spirit. This is a huge one in how we hinder the Holy Spirit. It's like, well, you know what? They're just too young to understand. They're just too young. The Holy Spirit couldn't get a hold of a young child like that. They need to have a certain level of maturity and all of this. They have to understand justification and you know, propitiation and all this stuff. Really, really? It's not what I see in the Bible. That grows. That comes. And the result is, when we live with these excuses, this apathy, we entrust the discipleship of our youth to the world. Because they will be discipled. And children, if you look around today, they are increasingly confused and deceived regarding their identity. Just choose whatever one you want. Really? They're confused and deceived regarding their purpose for which they were created, their priorities, their values, their morals, and their suffering because of it. And they're turning away from Christ. And we can look at that and be intimidated, but loved ones, I want to encourage us tonight from God's word. It doesn't have to be like this. It doesn't have to be like this. No one loves or is more passionate about the next generation than Jesus Christ. In fact, God's word goes on to say he is actually jealous for the soul that he's put in you. He is jealous for that soul. Not in a sinful way, in a pure way, in a holy way. He is jealous for the soul that he created. 
But here's what it means for us. Big idea from the text. Write it down. You'll see it on the screen. Lock it in. Come on. Pens out. Let's go. Bible's open. Love seeing it. The church must train the next generation to set their hope in Jesus. This is what it means for us. This is the call. Don't hinder them. Let them come. We must train the next generation to set their hope in Jesus. So let's get the context of our text tonight. The purpose of this Psalm 78 is twofold. Number one, it is to drive home the vital importance of faithfulness and obedience in discipling the next generation in God's word if they are to set their hope in him. And number two, it serves as a wake-up call. This is a wake-up call for the people of Israel. It's a wake-up call for us today as the church That if they fail to pass on the truths of God to their children, those very kids, those very youth, will soon turn aside from following the Lord, just like the rebellious ancestors did in Egypt. There is much at stake. Let's read Psalm 78. We're going to honor the authority of God's word. Let's stand together. Let's read Psalm 78. We're going to read all verses 1 to 8, nice and loud. We just heard you singing nice and loud. Now let's declare God's word nice and loud. This is worship. Let's go. Give ear, O my people, to my teaching. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings from of old, things that we have heard and known that our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from their children, but tell to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the wonders that he has done. He established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers to teach their children, that the next generation might know them, the children yet unborn, and arise and tell them to their children so that they should set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments and that they should not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation whose heart was not steadfast, whose spirit was not faithful to God. Remain standing as we pray. Lord Jesus Christ, your word is so clear. You say, let the children come, do not hinder them. Don't hide the truth of God from them, but tell the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord. Lord Jesus Christ, I can do nothing right now to change a mind, to change a heart, to save a life, to um, instill urgency where there is apathy, to uh, instill hope where there is doubt, um, to soften a heart that is hard, to save a life. I cannot do that. And so, Spirit of God, I pray you would fill me and you would find a church that is ready to receive your word tonight. I pray you'd rid the distractions of our minds and hearts in a moment. Right now, church, just what is that that's distracting you from hearing God's word tonight? What do you just need to repent of in this moment? Cast it on the Lord. There is grace ready. There is forgiveness offered. And there will be illumination and clarity given by the power of the Holy Spirit. So, Spirit, come. Unite your church in this. This is our mandate. Help us to be faithful. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. You may be seated. All right, to train our children to set their hope in Jesus. First thing we see from verses one to four is this. We must resolve to teach them constantly. We must resolve to teach them constantly. God commands us to teach his word to his children. Question facing you and I individually as a family and as a church. Will we herald it or hide it? 
Will you herald it or hide it? Let's go back to verses 1 to 3, back in the text. Give ear, O my people, to my teaching. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings from of old, things that we have heard and known that our fathers have told us. See, in verse 1, we see the psalmist, Asaph, he gives a strong statement here under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And he's declaring to the people of God that they must give their full attention to what he's saying. Look at the very end of verse 1. Did you see it? Eyes back in the book. Did you see it? What's at the very end of verse 1? It's a exclamation point. That means there's urgency. He's like, pay attention, community of faith. God's people, pay attention. Give ear to my teaching. Incline your, word, incline your ears to my words. These are God's words. Give your full attention. There's an urgency and a weight of importance to what he's saying. And Asaph says in verses two to three that he will open his mouth in a parable. Word parable there. These are stories that were used to illustrate the truth of God and to teach moral and spiritual instruction from God's word. You notice the master of parables, his name was Jesus, the son of God in the New Testament. He had around 40 of them. He used in the New Testament. He did them all the time brilliantly. And in this case, Asaph is using the stories of Israel's history. If you go through all the way to the end, of Psalm 78, you will see story after story of God's work in his people in Israel, in the community of God, just one after the another, after the next, after the next. And he's telling people, the, as you see there, the dark truths that carry deep meaning. That's all that means. It carries deep meaning in their history for the way that they were to live their lives if they were to honor and obey the Lord, have his blessing, and pass on the truths of God to the next generation. And the psalmist tells them not just to heed God's command, just like we are told in James, the book of James today, don't just be a hearer of this church. There needs to be a faithful response. We are called to be doers of God's word in the power of the Holy Spirit because we can't on our own. Don't just be a hearer, he's saying. There needs to be a response. God calls us to response. Look at verse 4. Resolve. There's a resolve. Watch this, verse 4. We will not hide them, the truths of God, from their children. But we will tell. Notice the resolve. We will. And then, but tell to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the wonders that he has done. See, Asaph states that if God's people are not intentional in passing on the truths of his word, his testimonies of his work, then it is just as if we are hiding them from the next generation. I don't want to stand before God one day, which we all will soon. And he says, why'd you hide that? You had the opportunity. Why'd you hide it? You didn't need to. Look at me. We will not hide them. Now notice this in verse 4. Notice the pronouns. He uses in verse 4, we and there. We and there, children. It shows that even though parents, as we said in our child dedications just a moment ago, even though parents are meant to be the primary disciples of their children, and we can't drop the ball on that, loved ones. 
If we need help with that, I just want to encourage you. If you're here and you're like, but I don't know how to disciple, like, will you please reach out? We would love to help you. You're not alone. We are a family. You're not alone. But notice this. Even though you are meant to be the primary disciples of your children, notice the text. We, their children, they were never meant to disciple their kids alone. But it was a crucial job and albeit privilege and joy for every single person in the community of faith around them. Whether you're a parent, whether you're single, whether you think you're good with kids or not. We and their children. So here's what we can get from the first four verses. Sum it up right here. Children's discipleship is a community effort. Lock it in. Write it down. We have to believe it. Children's discipleship, the discipleship of youth, is a community effort by God's design. Not just workers in Hope Kids. Not just workers in Hope Youth. When you're getting together at socials, when you're doing that, what about the kids? What's going on with the kids? Notice what he says, verse 4, tell. The Hebrew word here does not describe the idea of just telling them once. It's actually an active verb in the Hebrew. It means tell and keep telling constantly. It's not like, well, I'm one and done. I've done my part. Good. Do it again and again and again, saying, (laughs) tell them constantly. And God commands us to teach our kids about life. Here's why. Here's why. God commands us here in these first four verses to teach our children, to teach the next generation about life through God's perspective. Through God's perspective. His mighty acts, his incredible love, and the wonders that he has done, and how each of them impacts our lives today. Asaph, we could illustrate this. Asaph exhorts God's people to, number one, live with God lenses. Did you put your God lenses on today? Live with God lenses on. Seeing the world through God's perspective. What's God's perspective? His word. Have you put your God lenses on today? The truth of God, who he is, tell them. Tell them who their Lord is that loves them so much. Tell them what he's done. Tell them the truth of his word. And now tell them the gospel, the good news of the person and work of Jesus Christ. Don't just tell them once. Tell them again and again and again and again and again to your kids and others' kids. Gospel lenses. Are you living with your gospel lenses? Looking at situations that we encounter and be like, there's a picture of Jesus. There, there, there. This reminds us, illustrates, this illustrates what Jesus did for us, what he did for you. Tell them. It is to increasingly permeate, that's what this phrase means, permeate every part of the lives of his people so that we can increasingly model this for our children in his power at work in us and pass it on to them. By showing them how it applies to literally every part of their lives. Hey, newsflash. Hey, parents, you know what's so beautiful? I mean, there's so many beautiful things about what God's done to equip parents. But one of the most beautiful things I find is that God has given us answers to literally everything we will encounter. Why? Because Jesus was tempted in every way the same of us and yet did not sin. God knows. That disruptive relationship at school, God knows. 
The temptation to sin, God knows. The, the suffering that they're going through, put on your gospel lenses and show them how Jesus suffered in their place. They're not alone. Teach them. Teach them the word and how it applies in their trials, in their sickness. How sick this is a result of sin. It came into the world when sin came into the world. I mean, like, we know it's not meant to be this way, and one day all will be made right, but for right now, you need to go to bed. Don't miss the moment. Gospel lenses, loved ones. The entertainment choices. You know, so we have this conversation all the time, don't we, guys? Hey, in our home, don't we? It's like, it's family movie night on Friday. Hey, can we watch this? Here's what we say. What does God say about that? It's usually a showstopper in that moment. And mom and dad get it. <laughs> it's like, what does God say about that message that would happen in our home if we watched that? What does God say about it? But it's so cool. What does God say about it? It's so popular. What does God say about it? Mic drop. Yeah, that's right. You go, EJ. You know, even right to last night. Don't miss it. You got family movie night going on? I love tucking one of my boys into bed. He says, Dad, what was your favorite part of the movie? I said, here's my favorite part of the movie. When the hero of the story, instead of, instead of harboring unforgiveness at the people that hurt them, had mercy on them and cared for them and spared them. Do you know why? He says, why? He said, because it reminded me of Jesus. They're all over the place. Are you living with gospel lenses, loved ones? It's all over the place. Tell them what God's word says about who they should choose as friends. Why is it that bad company corrupts good character? Tell them that. Teach them that. How they steward their bodies. You want to talk about body image as a big deal today? Teach them what God's word says about how to steward their bodies for the glory of God. What absolute truth is. And yes, there's absolute truth. We just settle that. There's an absolute truth. It's right here. It's not moralism. It's not relativism. It's absolute truth. And it doesn't change. Okay? Teach them the absolute truth that doesn't change. Your truth is not based on how you feel. Your truth, and that's a big one, especially when you get teenagers in the house. Let me tell you, hormones get racing. Love you. But here's the thing. (laughs) You have to understand that truth is not based on your feelings. There's an absolute truth, God's truth, that is the authority. Teach them what God's word says about where their identities truly come from. Teach them. And you may say, well, it's so hard, I'm intimidated. I mean, the Bible's a big book. I get that. I'm intimidated. I just want to encourage you, and I've encouraged us in this before. I'll do it again. Uh, You don't need a seminary degree to do this, loved ones. You just don't need a seminary degree. Easy for you to say, you've been to seminary, you have masters and all that. Listen, you don't need a seminary degree to disciple your children in God's word. You have, if you are saved in Jesus Christ, you have the spirit of God and he's given us the word of God. You are filled with the spirit and if the word is increasingly daily on your heart as you open it and abide with him, you're in a good place. But here's the truth. 
Children love stories. I used to be a teacher in the classroom. Oh, man, when it was story time, even the high school kids, they would come, Mr. K, what are we reading today? What are we reading? I used to teach ancient history. You know, what are we reading about today? They love stories. Here's the thing. Tell them the greatest story. Tell them the greatest story. The story of God. Tell them the story. Don't be afraid. Well, they'll turn off. Listen, let the lion out of the cage and it'll fend for itself in their heart. Tell them the story of God. The greatest story of his great work his great truth, his work in your life, his work in this world. Tell them this, as Deuteronomy 6 says, when you're sitting around the table with your Bible open. Tell them this, when you're in the yard doing yard work and you're looking at God's creation all around you. When you see the birds and you see the flowers, point to Jesus from Matthew 6 and say, see, he loves them and he knows every sparrow that hits the ground when it dies. And he says, they don't worry about their lives. They don't worry about what they're gonna eat next. And how much more value are you than they? I got you. Remind them. Teach them that. Put on your gospel lenses. When you look at the stars, look up and remember Isaiah 40, 26, that Jesus, the creator and sustainer of all things, created all those stars and he calls them out by name. Not, not one is missing and he does it every night. Tell them. There's an eternal longing that's been put in their hearts. Ecclesiastes 3.11 and yours and mine. And when they get a taste of it, they want it. Tell them the story. Testify. Tell of God's work in your life, what he's done. That's why I love those baptism testimonies. So good. Tell them God's work by gathering in the church. This is a big statement for how you won't hide the truths of God from your children by you make the gathering of the saints a priority. Every weekend... You can't just expect that your children will make small group a priority if they don't see their parents doing it. You can't expect that your children will just somehow love to gather with the church if you're not committed to it. It won't happen, loved ones. Nobody just, I mean, maybe, maybe there's someone in this room that did, but I haven't met one yet, and I'm certainly not that guy, that just drifted into holiness. Yes. I'll try not to take that personally. <laughs> I heard a for real over here. I don't know what's, what's going on here. That's it. We just don't drift into holiness. It just doesn't happen by osmosis, loved ones. Gather as the church to hear the word of God. We will not hide it. Those Hope Kids teachers right now, my friend Odas is just heralding God's word downstairs right now to your children. He's been prepping hard all week for that. Don't hide it from them, loved ones. Get them to gather. And then here's another one. Be present. You want to not hide the truth of God? You be present. Here's what that means. Put this down. Just put down your phone. Remove the distraction. Put it down and give eye contact and be present with them. The distractions, your agenda, even work. You know what? Take some time off work to be present with your kids or someone else's and disciple them. 
in the Lord. Be present. And men, lead this in your homes. Lead this in your homes. If you need help to do that, reach out. We would love to help you. And don't wait until you have kids to do this. Start now if you're married. Start now if you're single by making God's word the priority in your life every day. Supernatural acts of God begin with ordinary acts of obedience. And it's simply telling them God's story. You're going to see this. One of the things we did, because we really want to equip you as much as possible with this. Grandparents, same thing. You're like, oh, I've done my thing. No, you haven't. If you're not dead, God's not done. Here's the reality. Each of you can pick up, well, there's 60 back on this table. So there's enough for each family for sure. This is, what is the gospel? Creation, fall, redemption, restoration, the whole biblical storyline that runs all through the Bible. Did you ever know all the movies that you watch, the stories that you read, they follow the gospel story? You start out in the movie, things are going okay, things are going all right, and then there's a villain that comes, and there's a problem, and they need a hero. There's a fall, something's not right, there's a conflict. And then the rest of the movie, the vast majority of it, is all redemption. Things getting back to being made right. And there's good guys and bad guys. Still, even today, when we watch a movie, my boys are like, okay, who's the bad guy? Who's the good? It's just there all the time. And then it gets to restoration. Why do you think when they do, they know this. Why do you think when you, you, they have trilogies and sequels and stuff, you're like, no, because there's no consummation at the end. It has, you have to wait for the next one. How will it turn out? God's told us how it turns out. Show them the gospel lenses, the biblical storyline. Take that. It's laminated. You can use felt tip markers on that for your families. Do it around your table. Talks about the power of sin defeat. Oh, so good. All right, but it's only good if you take it and use it in your home. God commands us to teach his word to his children. Will you herald it or hide it? Teach his word through right here. You'll see it. Write it down. Demonstration. Modeling the truth in our lives, in his power. Loved ones, here's the reality. You can't lead where you don't go. You can't lead your family to greater holiness in Jesus Christ if you yourself are not going that way. You can lead to a place you've never been, but you can't lead where you're not going. That's the first thing. Gospel demonstration. And then gospel declaration, being intentional to open our mouths, just like Asaph said, I will open my mouth, open our mouths to declare his truth. Godliness won't happen by accident. Don't wait until you think they're old enough. Now, now, like notice verse four, where it says, we will tell, we will not hide them from their children. You know what that supposes? It implies that the word of God is already on the hearts of the people. It's already there. Is it in your heart? Is it in mine? Because you can't teach what you don't know. Neither can I. And we can't lead where we don't go. It implies that it's already on the heart of the people. And I want to encourage us in this church, 90% of being faithful in family discipleship is showing up with an increasing amount of God's word on your heart. 90%. Is it on yours? There's no junior Holy Spirit. 
Don't wait till you think you're old enough. Charles Spurgeon, one of my favorite quotes to this day, begin early to teach, for children begin early to sin. That's a bullseye, huh? Children begin early to sin. Don't wait till you think they're old enough to hear. Now, now. Teach the word of God to the next generation. Tell his mighty works and glorious deeds. And then tell, and tell this right here, the, what the whole Bible points to, biblical theology, what every book of the Bible points to, the most glorious deed that God ever did, the greatest expression of his power, grace, and love, and greatest story we are called to teach our children as first importance. What's that? The truth of the person and work of Jesus Christ, the gospel. The greatest story, the greatest truth, how we were sinners by nature and we're sinners by choice. But God saw us in our sin that separates us from him and we have no hope of coming to him, being in a right, right relationship with him, having peace with God. And so he saw that and he sent his only son. Jesus Christ came to earth, fully God, fully man, crucified on the cross for our sin, paid the penalty for that sin in our place. That sin we deserved, even though he was perfectly sinless. And he was buried in a tomb for three days. But hey, hey, talk about the greatest news of all time. The power of sin could not hold the Savior. Come on, teach your kids that. <clears throat> the power of sin could not hold the Savior, and he was raised to life again, conquering sin and death for all time, and now offers forgiveness of sin, redemption of our lives, of our souls, and eternal life to all who repent of their sin and confess him as Lord. And we think about this. Think about this, loved ones. If this is the greatest truth we could ever have, then how could we ever think of hiding it from our kids? It's their only hope. They long to hear the story. The longing for eternity has been placed in their heart. They long to experience it. But here's, here's where rubber meets the road. Let's put some feet to our faith. Will you hear God's command and resolve to teach them? Constantly. What's your next step? What's your next step to do this? Evaluate it. Maybe write it down. There's resources on our website. Look them up. They're right there. Resources, Hope Kids, Hope Youth, Parents. Did you know we got a whole Hope Youth page with reading plans and stuff for you, parents, and being able to have gospel conversations with your kids? It's all on there. What is your next step to teach them? Jump in Hope Kids. Apply for Hope Youth. What is that? To train our children to set their hope in the Lord, we must resolve to teach them constantly. And lastly is this. If we are to remain fervent on this, see, the worst thing that could happen is this. You hear a message like this, and you're all like, yeah, 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 yeah. And then Monday comes, and you're like, Ugh. the apathy sets in again. Hey, 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 if we're to stay fervent in this and constant in teaching them, we must, last point, realize what's at stake. We have to realize what's at stake. What's at stake? Hope. Hope. A child, listen to this. A child's eternal hope is at stake. I'm going to say it again. A child's eternal hope is at stake. Will you realize the stakes and step up?
Will you realize the stakes and step up? Look at five to seven, back to the text. He established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers to teach their children. Why? That the next generation might know them, the children yet unborn, and arise and tell them to their children so that they should set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments. See the testimony there, verse five, is the covenant. The law of God, the word of God that God made with the people of Israel at Mount Sinai. When they were in the wilderness after coming out of Egypt, they were commanded by God, notice the text, commanded by God to teach the future generations of children his word and his works, whether in one's immediate family, your own kids, or in the greater community of God's people. And this is not an option. Notice there's no out clause here in Psalm 78. There's no out clause. This is not an option that people could just choose to do or not do. If it's not already abundantly clear, I want to make it clear right now. If you are saved in Jesus Christ, you are called to train up the next generation in his word. That's it. That's, there's no out clause. Verses 6 and 7, it says the purpose of constantly teaching the next generation God's word is so that they might what? Know it, look at the text, and understand so then they could teach it to others. Notice verse six. Go back to verse six. They could know it and then teach it. The next generation might know them, the children yet unborn. Side note here. God is passionate for the unborn child. God is very passionate for the soul of the unborn child. And we, as his people, are called to be passionate for them as well. To stand for them in the sanctity of life. It is precious in God's sight. And I want you to notice right from this text, maybe you've never seen this before, watch this. Every time we step in and disciple this generation. You know what we're doing? Look at, look at verse six. We are valuing the lives of the next generation. The unborn child. The ones we don't know about yet. We're valuing their lives by stepping in to disciple this generation's lives so they can pass on the hope of the gospel. And this is the beautiful picture of God's plan of discipleship from one generation to the next. As the children are brought up in the truths of God's word each day and by his grace and grace alone set their hope and faith and trust in Jesus alone, they will then be able to disciple those who come after them so that they too may set their hope in Jesus Christ as their only hope and salvation. In this church, in this church, I just love this, I love this, Teaching others, future, like, like right now in this room, some of the kids that you saw up here tonight, downstairs, the 40, 50 kids that are downstairs right now are the future small group leaders of this church. You know, I was in a staff meeting with Laura not too long ago, and I was like, what's, what's, what does church planning have to do with Hope Kids? What does church planning have to do with Hope Kids? Oh, you're training up the next round of core group members, church planters, and pastors. That's what it has to do with church planning. It has everything to do with it. They're downstairs right now. 
Not only, Hope Ottawa, loved ones, by God's grace, almost seven years ago, when God called us to plant Hope Ottawa, it was not just for our generation. It was to endure for your children's generation and my children's generation and the unborn children that are coming in the next generation. And after that, until Christ comes back. We are not for ourselves. And look, look at verse eight. Why are, why are we so committed to this? Making disciples and actually, because here's what's at stake. Go back to the text, last verse. And that they should not be like their fathers. A stubborn and rebellious generation. A generation whose heart was not steadfast. Whose spirit was not faithful to God. See, this is describing those who live in rebellion against God's word and stubbornly refuse to follow it and have chosen to not remain steadfast in the faith, but instead chose to be discipled by the culture, the false small g gods of this world in which they lived, which ultimately, loved ones, love you so much to tell you the truth. Ultimately, all those things you're gonna try to set your hope in outside of Jesus Christ, they will lead you to hell. They will come up empty every time that they would set their hope in God, who God says he is, his son, And it's so important because, can we agree, church? The culture's doing a great job of discipling children into it. Isn't it? Culture's doing a great job of discipling kids into it. And discipling them away from faith in Christ to doubt, from truth to relativism, from intimacy with God to rebellion, from purity to defilement, from peace to anxiety. That's what this world's discipling. Peace to anxiety and from setting their hope in Jesus Christ alone to reject him and set their hope in the world that leads to separation from him for eternity. Moment of truth, church. Moment of truth, right here. Eyes up, moment of truth. Love seeing your eyes. Will you, will we as a community of faith, will you as a family, will you allow this to go on and enable it by hiding the truth of God from your children and the children entrusted to this church? Moment of truth. Or will we sit by? Because here's here's a sobering truth we need to remember. What one generation allows will be what the next one accepts as normal. Just let that hang. What one generation allows will be what the next one accepts as normal. And here's the truth we need to see. If we don't disciple the children God's entrusted to us, the world will. It's just waiting. Yes, we're to be in the world, but not of the world. Salt, light. Loved ones, if your home looks like the world, If your life looks like the culture, don't be surprised when your kids do. The movies you watch, the music you listen to, and I'm trying to say this with all the love that I can because we got to fight for this in our home every single day. But if your home looks like the world, so will your children. They won't just drift into holiness. A child's eternal hope is at stake. Will you realize the stakes, church, and step up? And even though there's nothing that we can do that will guarantee the salvation of our children, 
That's hard as a parent. Oh man. And some of you have been parents longer than me. Oh, it was just, you ever had those nights where you're just agonizing on the floor over your children? Over the souls of your children? There's nothing we can do that will guarantee the salvation of our kids because salvation is through Jesus alone, his sovereignty, his wisdom, his election. But we would be foolish, loved ones, to think that this gives us license not to be intentional, earnest, and faithful, and fervent to disciple the children God's entrusted to us. Why? Because Jesus is the one who acts, and he is the only Messiah. But it is our obedience to him in the power of the Holy Spirit through which he works. Our job is not to save. Let ourselves off the hook there. But our job is to sow. To sow in the power of the Holy Spirit. And you may say this as we close out. You may say, this is overwhelming. I'm just overwhelmed at what's at stake and, and how ill-equipped I feel. I feel ill-equipped every day, loved ones. I'm right there with you. I'm like, really? I'm not equipped for this. But I want to encourage us, as I've been encouraged, in Jesus Christ, we serve a Savior that's ready to give all his strong support behind us in this. All of it. He didn't just give us the mission to make disciples of the next generation. He gave us the means. He gave us himself. He gave us the Holy Spirit. He gave us the word of God. We can take great confidence in knowing that Jesus Christ is the one who kept God's command and discipled others in his word perfectly. And was steadfast in this when faced with temptation of discouragement. You're going to be discouraged along the way. But know that Jesus, he was faced with that temptation of discouragement. And he was faced with the weariness. I know, parents. I know, church. It can get weary sometimes. And you wonder if your labor's just in vain. It's not. And I want to say to you today that if you are saved in Jesus Christ, it is time to step up in our homes, in our family devotions, in our intentional discipleship. Men, lead the way. It's time to step up as a church. Sign up at Hope Kids. Don't sit on the sidelines anymore. Don't do it. Bless you for those who are serving faithfully and pouring in. You press on. It's making it. You are training up by God's grace the next round of church planters, the next round of soul care counselors, the next round of pastors. You are the front lines of that. We are the front lines of that. Step in mentorship, hope youth. Don't look at kids. You say, well, what can I do? Don't look at kids as an interruption. When you see all the kids running around here, and they're going to be up here in a few minutes, trust me. When you see them all running around here, don't just be like, hey, move, kid. You know what? Get low and say, hey, my name's so-and-so. How are you? What'd you learn at Hope Kids today? Invest. Invest. Kids can smell a phony. Invest. Do not outsource the discipleship of the next generation, loved ones, because the church must train the next generation, to set their hope in Jesus. Press on in his strength, weary mother, weary brother or sister, weary father. You keep going. God's word goes forth. He will waste nothing. It will not come back void. Press in, Hope Bible Church, Ottawa, to the calling and privilege that we have received to disciple these children and do all we can in his power to train them to set their hope in the Lord as we resolve to teach constantly and realize the eternal hope that is at stake if we don't. Let the children come. Normally, we have a time of corporate prayer before the sermon to prepare our hearts. But this week, we really felt led. We're going to have the time of corporate prayer now, after the sermon.
and we are going to go to war for the next generation. We are going to pray for our families, pray for the families that were up here and all of the families represented in this church, every one of those children that's downstairs, every one of the youth that's going to come here on Wednesday by God's grace to Hope Youth. Pray for the unborn children to come. We're going to go to war for them right now and we are going to beg and we are going to be earnest and fervent. And so I implore you, Hope, get in groups of four or five. Don't worry about it. If you don't know the person, do a quick hello our focus is Godward. Amen? Our focus is Godward. God answers and responds to the prayers of his people. Pray bold prayers. Pray impossible prayers. Pray scripture-fed, spirit-led prayers. And watch what God does with that. All right? We're going to take five minutes. Let's get together, groups of four or five, and let's go, and we'll close out.